Well, good evening. I greet each of you in the precious name of Jesus again this evening. The one that fills our life with joy and fills our life with the fullness of God. I trust your walk with the Lord today was fulfilling, that your walk with the Lord today brought you joy as you went about your daily activities. You know, sometimes when you're away on revival meetings, maybe Brother Nate, you can identify with this. There's kind of that time that you pull away and you just immerse yourself in the Word of God and, and, and you forget sometimes that not everybody else in the congregation is, is able to do that for the entire week. And so I feel I have a privilege this week to um, be here and to uh, share the Word of the Lord with you this, uh, here tonight. I invite you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 2. I titled the message this evening, Devotion to Jesus Christ. So last night we looked at the, at the um, idea of repentance and reconciliation, the, uh, the justification that we can have before God as we, um, as we humble ourselves before him. Tonight, you know, we're going to be looking a little bit at the response that that would create in the heart of somebody that has experienced the divine intervention of Jesus Christ. And that is a response of love to Jesus Christ. Jeremiah chapter 2, this is God speaking to Israel through the prophet Jeremiah. Verse 1 says this, Moreover the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in the land that was not sown. I just want to stop there for a moment. God is looking upon Israel, and God is saying, you know, I look back with longing at a moment in time when I felt the love of your espousal. What's an espousal? The love of your engagement. In other words, that, that idea that there was, a, there was a, a blossoming relationship that was taking place. Israel being that, that, the chosen people of God and, and God wanting that fuller relationship with Israel. He goes on in verse, um, in verse 3 and he says, Israel was holiness unto the Lord and the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend, evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. God looked upon Israel with tremendous fondness. You know, picture with me for a moment a young man and a young lady that have agreed together to be married. There is something beautiful as you look upon a relationship that is budding and that is, that is full of love and, and, you know, that devotion to one another. You know, I, I remember very clearly some of us young fellows when I was, was in the youth group I don't know, we were in one of the cities, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, somewhere. And there was, there was a young, young man there with us, one of my friends, and, and, and there, he, was, he was in, a, you know, kind of the beginning stages of a relationship with a young lady. And, um, and he was pretty excited about this young lady, and, I, and he was, you know, you know how those things are. And, and we were walking through the food court there in the mall or something, and, and um, there was one of those money gimmicks that said test your passion 
okay? And so he, um, he said, boy, he said, I, I wonder about this. And we said, well, yeah, I mean, you'd probably be a good candidate for that about right now. And so he, he wasted his 50 cents and he got a hold of the handles or whatever he did with the machine. And the passion meter went up against. And we said, probably right, okay? He was excited about this young lady. Now, we, none of the rest of us tried it because we didn't want to, you know, make him feel bad because it would have probably done the same thing for us, okay? But, you know, there was something that was exciting that was taking place. There was a budding relationship that was there, and, and there, was a, there was just that, that intense desire in that relationship to be together and so on. God bless them. They wound on and got married and have a family, and, and God has been good to them, and we praise the Lord for that. That's what God was saying to Israel. Israel or God was telling Israel, I look back to the time of our espousal. I look back to that time when we were courting and when we were, when we were new in this relationship. And there was something alive. There was that spark there. Now let's go on. Verse 4. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquities have your father found in me, that they are gone away from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? Neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits and through a land of drought and of the shadows of death through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruits thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. The priest said, where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. And the pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Wherefore, I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead for, for pass over the isles of Chittim and see and, and send unto Kedar and consider diligently and see if there be, a, be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their God? which are yet no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of water and hewn themselves out cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. What changed? Do you see a change that God was looking upon Israel? He looked upon Israel and says, at the beginning and said, you are my chosen one. You are, I feel the joy and the love of your espousal. But we get into verses four through eight. God laments that no longer the love of Israel was there for the works that he had performed for them. Dear ones tonight, if we know Jesus Christ, he has performed wonderful things for us. God was lamenting the fact that Israel no longer considered his works. But we go into verse 9. He says, Wherefore will I yet plead with you, saith the Lord, with your children? Will I plead? God was not finished with Israel. God wanted that relationship yet with, with Israel. If we go into verse 13. 
We see here that God speaks to the children of Israel and he says here that they have committed two evils. And he says this, he says they have forsaken the living water. Israel forsook the fellowship with God. Israel forsook that relationship with God. And he tells them that they have carved out cisterns. Now, some old buildings probably in this area and in the area that I grew up in, sometimes had cisterns. Cistern water is not fresh water, okay? Cistern water is, 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 is less than desirable. It's stagnant. It can be germ-infested. It can be putrefying to the, to the person that partakes of that water. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. And this is what God was saying to Israel. They left that which was beautiful, that which was rewarding, that which was fulfilling. And they hewn themselves out these cisterns, these, these germ-infested pools that were defiling to them. Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 24, I'm sorry, and verse 12. Jesus here is prophesying of the coming of the end of time. Now, I don't know about you, dear ones, tonight, but I believe with all of my heart that we are living in the last times. I don't know how anyone can, can, um, can look at the things that are happening around us and, and not say we've got to be close to the coming of Jesus Christ. This is, the, this, is the, this is the setting that Jesus is speaking about. Here in verse 12, he says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Today, as we look across our land, as we look across the landscape of the church, of the church today, we see this prophecy coming true. We see the love of many waxing cold, the same thing that was happening to the children of Israel as, as they came out of the land of Egypt. They came across the Red Sea and they, and they were there and they sang the song of praise and glory to God. But as they went on and traveled through the wilderness, got into their land, that love died out. And we see that same thing happening in our world today. Now turn with me just a page or so to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. We have here the account. Actually, we, we have the account here. We see actually several things in this passage of scripture. But we have the account here of a, of a woman that came and anointed the feet of Jesus. So Matthew chapter 26, and I'm going to read the first 16 verses. And it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the, fast of the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtility and kill him. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there is an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? 
For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured the ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. I often find it amazing to look into the scriptures and to see the response of people to Jesus. And in this passage of scripture, we have several very distinct responses to Jesus Christ. We want to look at them all, but we want to focus this evening on the response of this woman that came to Jesus. The first response that we see in this passage of scripture was that Jesus was despised. Jesus' earthly ministry was coming to an end. In verses 1 and 2, it speaks that the feast of the Passover was only two days away. Jesus was dead before the Passover began. That's how close we are to the end of the life of Jesus Christ. In just a few moments, Jesus was going to suffer. Jesus was going to die. Jesus was going to sacrifice his blood for humanity. We know the Jewish leaders had a tremendous hate and animosity for Jesus Christ. Jesus, throughout his his ministry, did not fit the the, um, mold that the scribes and Pharisees had in, in their own imagination of what holiness should look like. Jesus didn't fit the mold that, 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 um, that they could go along with. And we see here in this passage of scripture that it had got to the point where they despised Jesus so much that they had got together to plot to take Jesus. That's, that's a, a true heart of hatred and, and a, a heart that despised Jesus Christ. The hatred was so great that they laid a plan to kill a man that they knew with all of their heart was completely innocent before God. Verse verse 4 tells us that it was through subtility that they endeavored to, 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 uh, to capture Jesus. We know that throughout Jesus' ministry, time and time again, the scribes and Pharisees, and, and they, they came and, and they would lay traps for Jesus, right? Just one trap after the next but it wasn't Jesus' time. You know, I really wonder what scenario that they were concocting before Judas came, okay? I really kind of wonder what they were planning. Dear ones, tonight, there was not a bit of love in the hearts of the scribes and Pharisees for Jesus Christ. Not one iota. And dear ones, tonight, I want just to consider very seriously that these were the men That were the religious leaders, the religious people of their day. These were people that considered themselves to be the people of God. And yet because Jesus Christ did not fit the mold that they thought he should, 
They despised him with a tremendous hatred. I don't have to tell you today that we find ourselves living in an increasingly hostile world to anything that has to do with Jesus Christ and Christianity, true Christianity. You know, sometimes the fact is, if the standard of truth can be removed, evil does not seem so bad. And I wonder a little bit if that was what was taking place here with the scribes and Pharisees. They met Jesus, the one that that portrayed truth to them. They met truth. It condemned their actions, and they were unwilling to change course. They rather would have got rid of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I meet Jesus too. I meet Jesus in, the, in his word. And sometimes the things that he tells me are hard. Okay, They're hard. They're difficult. But you know, whenever we come face to face with the realities of Jesus Christ and what he wants for us in his word... We have the option either to surrender and change our hearts or to remove ourselves from the truth. We see here the scribes and Pharisees despised Jesus Christ. They wanted to remove the truth from before their eyes. The next response that we see is the response of this woman that came to Jesus. And this is a response of devotion. This woman, many people believe, was Mary because of the location that Jesus was in in Bethany and that Mary had a friendship with Jesus Christ may have made this likely. But we see here that this lady, whatever her name is, had a heart that loved Jesus Christ. She had a heart that was was in a love relationship with Jesus Christ in the purest sense that is. She had a devotion for Jesus Christ because she recognized, I believe, the, the, um, that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. This woman brings an ointment to Jesus. You know, and today we say, well, you know, that's not such a big deal. It's just some perfume. You know, you can go down to Walmart and you can get a $5 Walmart special and it really isn't that valuable. But we see here in this, in this passage of, uh, of Scripture that it says that this was very precious ointment. It was very valuable ointment. The Smith's Bible Dictionary describes the ointments of this day as something that were of, of an extreme luxury. There, this was something that was of extreme value. A lot of these ointments were mixtures of oils and special spices that could hold their fragrance for an extended period of time. To the, to the point that some of these fragrances were actually passed down generation to generation, according to some historians. This was something that was a big deal. This was something that had a tremendous value. To use an ointment on the body or on the clothes was only done on the very specialist occasions. It was something that at times was even pretty much exclusively done at a time of a burial. If we go into the account in John where it speaks of of a woman anointing Jesus with ointment, it tells us there that the value of that ointment was 300 pence. Now we need to understand today that a pence in the Bible times was a day's wage. Okay, 
So 300, day, 300 days wages is very potentially what the value of what, uh, of what was given here. So now calculate. 300 days, there's 365 days in a year. If you worked all the Saturdays, or most all the Saturdays in your year, and you collected your paycheck, and you went and you gave that as a gift of love to someone, that's a pretty big sacrifice. That's a tremendous sacrifice. You know, I don't know if this woman considered the cost of this ointment, but I will tell you this, I know that this woman considered the one that she was giving the ointment to. She considered Jesus Christ that valuable, that, that, that precious to her, that she was willing to give what she had. The next time there was a festivity, the next time there was a burial, next time that there was a, an occasion where she would have possibly used this ointment, I'm sure she thought of her devotion to Jesus Christ. Tonight, this woman's priorities were correct. This woman's priorities were what God wants priorities to be. We see that Jesus commended this woman for her action. Jesus spoke highly of what this woman had done. He told his disciples that this woman had done this. And that it was a good thing because he said, the poor you always have. And he says, I won't be with you much longer, putting it in my own words. You know, and possibly this woman was more in tune to what Jesus had said in verse 2, that in one day, okay, in one day, he was no longer going to be with them. I wonder if this woman grasped that as Jesus was speaking. But we see Jesus Christ was honored by the actions of this woman. We see another response. And this is the response of displeasure. You know, the disciples often amaze me. They really seem blind to what Jesus told them in verse 2. They really seem blind to the fact that Jesus was on the, on the doorstep of death. Jesus tried to prepare them from time to time. He gave them indications that he was soon going away and so on. And yet they seemed blinded to what was happening. Their time with Jesus was almost done. Scripture tells us that they were moved with indignation. Or in other words, they were moved with displeasure at what they seen taking place before them. A displeasure that was almost to the point of grief. They saw the use of this precious ointment as a tremendous waste. As a tremendous, it was just not a necessity for Jesus Christ. They saw the endless possibilities to which this ointment could have been used. It's very possible that the disciples had become very accustomed to seeing Jesus as the one that served others. And we're very unaccustomed to him being the one that was served. As we look through the life of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ walked his life here on earth. He walked humbly. He walked as a servant of mankind. He gave everything that he had to those that were around him. He gave beyond what was reasonable 
Okay, what was convenient? They were not, uh, the disciples were not used to seeing Jesus served and honored. But they also did not see the service to Jesus as valuable. These were the very people that walked with Jesus every single day. Do we ever have the same kind of feeling as we look about us and we, we observe those with their lives fully committed to the service of Jesus Christ? There may be times we say, well, maybe, maybe you could use your time better. Okay? You know, sometimes we, we, we look around us and we say, well, maybe, maybe your time should be, you know, instead of going and, and doing a work project, it should be done, you know, with whatever else. As industrious people, people that have been taught a tremendous work ethic, we sometimes could find ourselves very quickly where the disciples are at this moment. Sometimes we fail to see the kingdom work, the work of devotion to Jesus Christ as the absolute most valuable thing that can be accomplished. The disciples failed to see this loving service, this honor that was bestowed upon Jesus as the best use of the resources that were available. Consider for a moment the resources that God has entrusted to your care, to my care tonight. What is the highest calling? That God has for any resource that we have, whether it's material or whether it is the use of our time and our, and, our, and our talents. What is the highest calling for those resources? Consider that as you consider the disciples. You know, we become very materialistic in our thinking. We live in America, by the way, in case you forgot. And we are driven by the American dream, we are driven by the, by the materialism that, that pervades the society that is around us. And if you say that you're not affected by it, I'll probably tell you you need to repent. Okay? Because I think every one of us in some degree or another is in some way affected by this whole idea of the best use of the resources that God has entrusted to our care. Dear ones, tonight we need to see ourselves as vessels, as channels for the use of the glory of God. That's what God wants out of us. We see one more response here in this passage. And this is the response of desertion. Judas saw Jesus as an opportunity for personal advantage. Tells us here the disciples were displeased. Okay? They, they seen it as a waste. But Judas took this a little bit farther. Judas seen Jesus as an opportunity for personal advantage. The scripture tells us in other places that Judas loved money and that Judas was, was a man that was, that was controlled by the, the resources that he had in his pocket. Tells us he was a thief and held the bag. In other words, he was, was kind of like the treasure for the group, if you will. And he loved money. And it seems tonight as we look at this passage of scripture in verses uh, 14 through 16 that Judas 
had a greater love for money, for position and power possibly even, than he had for Jesus Christ. Judas was a deserter. Judas was a betrayer. I don't have to tell you today that deserters and betrayers, even in our culture today, aren't looked at with much admiration. How could, Je- how could Judas look at Jesus and I have a heart that was so hard that says I can use this for personal advantage? He walked with Jesus. He's seen the miracles that Jesus did. He's seen the blind being healed. He's seen the lame being healed. He's seen the glory of God. You know, as I meditated on that today, we're pretty hard on Judas. But how many times, dear ones tonight, dear brothers and sisters, I know the redemption that God has given to me. I know the power of his redeeming love. And yet far too often, I trade that love, I trade that relationship for things that are temporal and things that are fleeting. There's those tempting morsels of this world that we think, well, I can kind of, I, yeah, I love Jesus. I think if you would have asked Judas, he would have said he loved Jesus. I really think he would have. But you know, I can just slide over here and I can just, I can just take some of these tempting morsels, some of, these, some of these things that the world has to offer me, and I can kind of, you know, balance, right? I can kind of balance my love for Jesus Christ, and I can involve myself in the things that this world has to offer me, and I, you know, I can be okay. I don't know what Judas was thinking. Judas also, along with the miracles, saw many times where Jesus escaped from the hand of the Pharisees and the scribes. Did he say, well, I can go over here and I can, I can partake of some of the morsels that this world has to offer me? Jesus will be okay. Jesus will be all right. And then I can have the money and I can still have Jesus. I can have these, the, these treasures that, that allure me. And I can still have Jesus. I don't know if that was what was going through Judas's mind. But he was a betrayer. And dear ones, tonight, before we're hard on, as too hard on Judas, there are times in my life as I look back across my short lifetime that I've been where Judas was. Where I have taken my love for Jesus Christ and I've left it grow so dim and so cold that I could sneak over here into the world and I could, I could fulfill the lust of my flesh, the desires of my, of my heart. All the while saying, yes, I love Jesus Christ. You see, dear ones, tonight, the heart of man is incredibly deceitful. The heart of man is incredibly wicked. There are many things today in life that call for our attention and call to us as priorities. So we don't have Jesus with us today, do we? Not in a physical sense. How do we go about 
living a life of devotion to Jesus Christ in our world today. Jesus told us that the greatest of all commandments is that we love the Lord our God with all of our hearts. When we grab a hold of that passion meter, our love for Jesus Christ should just hit the top. That's what he's saying. And I believe tonight this begins with our attitude towards Jesus Christ. Turn with me to 1 Peter. I appreciated the devotional out of 2 Peter. Read that passage several times this week. But in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6, Peter is talking to the church. He's talking to those that have been redeemed. Take a look at what he says here in verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 he says, Wherefore also it is contained in the scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be, be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Dear ones, tonight, if we are going to live in a true love relationship with Jesus Christ, we have got to get a hold of the fact that Jesus Christ is precious. Jesus Christ is the one that redeemed us out of the bondage of sin. Jesus is the one that is the answer, like we heard about already tonight. He is the one that is the answer to a life of sin. When something is precious, it is valued. It is held dearly. It is honored. It is well taken care of. You know, think about, you know, when we think about things being precious, it talks here about a precious, uh, something being precious. You know, we might think about a stone. Think about a diamond for a moment. If somebody gave you a large diamond, a diamond that was worth, I don't know what diamonds are worth. Obviously, I'm not in the market for diamonds, okay? But they give you something of tremendous value. My guess is we would know where it's at. We would know what's happening to that diamond. We would know what's happening to that precious stone. Today, do we understand that Jesus is more precious than any treasure that somebody can place in your life? If we're going to have a love relationship with Jesus Christ like this woman did... We have got to understand the preciousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ cannot be another mundane, everyday experience in our lives. Many of us here have been carried into church. We've, been, we've, been, we've heard the gospel. And I fear sometimes within my own life and in the life of the, of the body of Christ is that we become immune to the preciousness of Jesus Christ. I believe tonight that time spent with Jesus on a personal level is incredibly important. You know, time in the word, time in prayer. You know, we could, we could spend a whole night 
looking at just that, okay? A whole night just looking at, at, at our, our relationship in our devotional lives. But dear ones, tonight, this is what I'm saying, is that this requires effort. This just don't happen. At least that's not been my experience. Mary spent time at Jesus' feet. Many, you know, this may require early mornings. It may require giving up of hobbies. It may require a change in lifestyle, if you will, so that we can have time to nurture our relationship with Jesus Christ. Another thing that is required in a life of devotion to Jesus Christ is a life of obedience. Jesus tells us many places in Scripture, John 14 and verse 15 is one of them. He simply says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. Dear ones, tonight, if we love Jesus Christ, this book will be precious. The things that this book says, the Holy Scriptures will come alive and will, will, will be a part of who we are. You know, we understand this. If you love someone... You do what pleases them, right? That's, that's pretty natural. You know, uh, we understand, you know, a cold winter night and, and there's after supper, it's all dark and, you know, we have our boots off men and we have our feet propped up and it's cozy in the house and the wind's howling outside and, and your wife gets done cleaning up from supper and she says, hey, honey, uh, would you take out the garbage? How many of you men feel like getting up, putting on your boots and taking out the garbage? got honest men here tonight. I don't think there's one of us that feels like getting up, going outside and taking out the garbage. So men, why do you? It is because of our relationship with the one that asks us to. It's because of our relationship with our wife. She says, honey, will you go do this for me? And you consider a little bit and you say, yeah, I'll go get that. Dear ones, tonight, Jesus is telling, if we are in a, telling us if we are in a true love relationship with him, what his word says we're going to do. There's a lot of people in our world today that say they love Jesus, but they never get up off the couch and take out the garbage. They never put on their boots on that, on that winter night to flesh out what their lips say. I believe tonight that an obedience to the word of God is the foundation of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So in conclusion tonight, how is our love for Jesus Christ? What is our level of devotion what is our level of, of relationship, if you will, with Jesus Christ? Jesus says the greatest, com the greatest commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our strength, everything that is in us given to Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12 says, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to love him, 
and to serve thy Lord thy God with all of thy heart and with all of thy soul. God's speaking to us tonight. He wants a love relationship with us. How is it with us tonight? Do we sit at the fountains of living water? Or have we hewn ourselves out cisterns? Broken cisterns that, that in Jeremiah it talks about broken cisterns. Cisterns that hold no water. Where there is dryness of the heart, there is, there is a, there, there's this thing that is missing. You know, as humanity, we have this problem. We tend to try and fill our hearts with things that don't satisfy. You know, this world has everything to offer us except one thing, and that is Jesus Christ. That is that love relationship with him. Tonight, you know, as we consider our relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm afraid there's a lot of people out there that their love relationship with Jesus Christ is based on what they can receive, not on the aspect of a life that is devoted to Jesus Christ. So tonight, what has my love? What has my affection? What is it that is set before my eyes as things of value? Everything this world has, one day is going to be gone. The only thing that's going to be left is Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the example of this woman in the scripture. And Father, I pray tonight that you would help each one of us to open our hearts to the searchlight of you, Lord. Father, help us to inspect our love relationship with you. Oh, Father, we confess tonight that there are so many things that tempt us away. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help us to be people that are committed to a love, a love relationship, a life of devotion to you. Father, help us to see you as precious and as the greatest value that will ever be. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.